Stay good, people. It's your girl, Vera. And thanks for joining me for another episode of the No Good People podcast, where no topic is ever off limits. And I, your host, have the best seat in the house. Today's conversation will undoubtedly be emotional, yet bear truth to what so many of us caring for loved ones experience. For the last two years, I've been the primary caregiver for my mother, and I am still learning, deciphering, and navigating this rocky terrain. And just when I believe I've settled into a routine and everything seems fixed or perfect, something changes and I'm back at the starting gate. Sharing her story of caregiving and love is Donita Michelle Brown, founder and CEO of the Hey Hey Caregiver, a safe space and community for Black caregivers around the world. On August 5th, 2018, while serving as a Peace Corps community health volunteer in Africa, she received a phone call that changed the trajectory of her life. She learned that her mother was on life support and needed to have a brain craniotomy immediately or else she would die. But I'll let Donita share the rest of her story. Welcome Donita and thank you for being part of the No Good People podcast family. Thank you so much Vera for having me. Okay, so as we speak, I'm currently um, feeding my mom her brunch, we like to call it because She's not an, we're not early risers. We are night owls, so we rise a little later and she's having her favorite pancakes. Um, so that's what we're, that's what we're doing now. I just set her up in the bed. Uh, my mom is immobile. And the way, the reason why I'm okay with giving her pancakes every more every morning, every day for breakfast is because she was a tube feeder for oh, okay. uh, two, two and a half years. So I'm okay with her having pancakes every day, but um, I'm just excited about her. You know, when she was able to take food by mouth, I was so excited. So as you mentioned, I was serving as a Peace Corps volunteer in Eswatini, Africa. And not only was um, I serving, it was like the, the best time of my life, to be quite honest. I was working as a uh, training specialist with Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. and in October of 2015, I met a woman at a training and she told me about, um, you know, Peace Corps, her experience in Peace Corps in Senegal and all of that. And Mm -hmm. I was a federal employee. So I, you know, I really wanted to be an expat where I had got my cost of living allowance and, you know, my salary and still was able to work overseas. But as God would have it, as he does so many other things, he was like, nope, you're going to volunteer as a Peace Corps. Um, uh, volunteers. So I was like, okay, God. So basically I gave up everything to serve as a Peace Corps volunteer. And um, I was at the end of my service when my mom had her stroke. It was a subdural hematoma that resulted in a brainstem stroke. And um, I was closing out this amazing service that I had, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. And I was planning what is called a close of service trip. So most volunteers take a close the service trip. And I was planning mine and I was planning to go to Ghana, Senegal, Egypt, and um, do a healing yoga workshop before I came back to the States. So August 5th, as you mentioned, I received this call that my mom was on life support. And that was it. You know, as soon as my, the next day I was on a flight out. And as soon as my feet hit U.S. soil, I was a caregiver like in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, she was at 
Johns Hopkins Bayview uh, Neurocritical Care Unit for uh, two months. And it was really touch and go from August 2018 to October 2018. And, you know, having conversations for those of you out there who, you know, know kind of like the healthcare system, you have, you're assigned a social worker in the hospital. So having these conversations with a social worker about getting my mom back into the community, I did not know what that meant. And I'm like, what do you mean? And then talking about short-term care versus long-term care was like all mm-hmm. these things that I was bombarded with. And by me returning, I still was adjusting to being back in the States. Um, I had a tenant that was renting out my property. And so I didn't have a bed. It was just a lot of things that I had to do as well as being, being a caregiver for my mom. So it was, um, very overwhelming to say the least. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at some points I felt like God was punishing me. What is really happening here? You know, my mom was so with it. I mean, she was managing my home and her home and such. I mean, she was the, 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 um, the, the aunt, like the favorite aunt, the funny aunt, the, you know, just had so much life, always had a sense of humor and always I'm an only child so you know Ah, we always had a great relationship and all of that and so to come back to see her in this state and to be quite honest Vera I thought I was coming back to say my goodbyes to her to be quite honest Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it was really um she was intubated when I returned and you know had it over her eyes just a lot and I just thought God was giving me an opportunity to say goodbye to her before mm-hmm. you know she transitioned mm-hmm. but here we are three years later and she's eating pancakes like <laughs> but <laughs> but it was a lot of you know we had a lot of ebbs and flows and um she she's been on in-home hospice and you know she graduated from that and we had a, a time where they told us she had two days because she had a um crisis in January of 2019, pneumatosis of the liver and colitis and all these things. And they were like, oh, she's not going to make it. And, you know, again, we're here. So my, the caregiving journey actually started, well, for her, it started once I hit the ground and caregiving doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're physically caring. Like with my mom, she is um, immobile and bed bound. So I do everything for her. But I mean, Some people really discount what they do for their parents Mm -hmm. as far as handling finances, even if they're in another home, you know, as far as making sure that they're um, getting to their doctor's appointments, as far as making sure that they're taking their right medication is, you know, all of these things. Absolutely. It's still still caregiving, you know, it's still caregiving. So um, not to discount what everybody's doing. They also to always remember what I learned through the process is that I have to take care of myself. Because initially, when it first happened, I was selfless. Like, I, everything was my mother. I felt like I couldn't do anything for myself. And to be quite honest, I burned out and I was gaining weight, you know, because a lot of times we do things that are not, um, it's counterproductive. You know, you know, you shouldn't eat crazy and, you know, have a whole bottle of wine but a lot of times when you're going through it for me (laughs) (laughs) that was that was my coping strategy right until I realized like wait this is counterproductive you're not you're not helping the situation or yourself 
So that's kind of like how after this journey, how I got to um, Hey Caregiver. Um, and, and let me back up as a Black female, I didn't find a lot of resources or services mm-hmm. that spoke directly to me. And there are some, if you go online, I was looking for support groups for daughters caring for their mothers. And I came across this support group called Daughterhood. And when I tell you that there was no one that looks like me, not even remotely close, um, I was like, you know what? Because I had already spoken to a lot of um, daughters that were caring for them. I said, you know what? We need to create a space, a a community for us. And so I also, in addition to Hey Caregiver, created the Binti Circle um, support group for Black daughters caring for their mothers. And um, it's been going well. So, I mean, just again, how we spoke, you know, earlier that that we can vent, that we can share, that we can be transparent and 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 not judged by people where we're when we're sharing our true caregiving stories, because it's not always good. It's not always positive. Sometimes it's, you know, downright arduous and, and you know, it's yeah. not easy. So, you know, I think that. Um, it's, and, and as my mother is calling me now, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, and I told her I was doing the podcast, but you know, that it doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't matter. It, does. <laughs> <laughs> it does not matter. <laughs> it does not matter at all. So yeah, all. that's, that's kind of like, you know, how I got here and, um, where I am now and you okay, mom? Making a mess. Okay. But, um, yeah, so. So can you tell me more about your mother? Like, tell me, you know, who she was while you were growing up, um, the oh things that gosh. you did together. I would love to hear about, mm-hmm. you know, the two of you prior to this, because I think sometimes people only see what's in front of them and they think that's where life began. And, mm-hmm. and there's a whole other life that occurred before this. So, mm-hmm. you know, share that. Tell me about that, please. Okay. So I was an only child. Um, with, you know, my parents, I don't have any steps, halves or anything like I am the only child. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so um, my mom and dad, we lived in West Baltimore. So there are two sides of town with the city as West and there's East. And so my mother's family lived in East Baltimore. My father's family lived in West Baltimore. Well, my mother was, she actually wanted to be a teacher. She got pregnant with me when she was a junior at Copping State University. And um, she didn't finish, she didn't finish school, but she still had that instinct. So she was very adamant about getting good grades and all that. So she really prepared me Mm -hmm. um, as a young child. I did not attend preschool or anything like that. Never went to a babysitter. She stayed home with me until it was time for me to enter into kindergarten. And so the schools in West Baltimore, she was not, you know, she didn't care for those. And so she said, I want you to go to school in East Baltimore. So she made sure that, you know, I had the best education. Public schools then were really, actually, they were good, right? Baltimore City Public Schools. And I was in a gifted and talented program. She prepared me so much that in kindergarten, I was helping my teacher grade papers because I oh, was wow. like, yeah, I was just, you know, way ahead of my classmates. So she was very um, 
encouraging and very supportive and very like drill sergeant when it came to school. You know, anything that I wanted to do, though, mm-hmm. she was supportive of. And, you know, as I matriculated through elementary, middle and high and actually in middle school, because I found my creative side, I was I, I started to uh, do hair. And so I was like, Ma, I want to go to um, uh, Mervo, which was a vocational school. And she said, for what? I said, cosmetology. She said, absolutely not. She said, your Aunt Carolyn. <laughs> she did. She was like, your Aunt Carolyn did hair. And, you know, she has rheumatoid arthritis. No, you can do hair. But you will go to one of these citywide schools, which was uh, Western High School, which is the oldest girls public school in the nation, Polly, which is their brother school, but it's co-ed now is a um, technical school. So more STEM focused and then city. And so she said, you'll pick one of those. You will not be going to Mervo. So I chose Western high school. And, you know, if it were not for her, I don't know what I would be doing in terms of like <laughs> my, you know, my life at that time, mm-hmm, but I feel like mm-hmm. um, my dad, so, and then my dad, like I said, they lived in West Baltimore. I always went to school in East Baltimore. So I was between my grandmothers, my best friends, my aunts. Um, and my dad, um, at around 30 something, he went to pursue acting in LA. So oh. he followed his dream. Mm-hmm. He followed his dream. And my mother, I'm just telling you about the woman that she was, he was mm-hmm. like, you know, I want you guys to go with me. And she was like, absolutely not again. Absolutely not. <laughs> she said, because she worked for Internal Revenue Service at the time. And she was like, you know, I'm not uprooting my child. I want to make sure that she has stability. You don't know what you're going to do when you get out there, where you're going to live. You know, you're following your dream. And while she was, again, you know, supportive of him, she was just like, I'm not doing this to my daughter. So she made that decision to you know, keep me home. My dad pursued acting. He's doing very well now, but it was a little rocky in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's always been that one though, you know, strong, making sure that I had my head on straight. We had fun together, you know, as I became an adult, we would do our girls dates and, and all of that. And we have a really close knit family, a lot of women, so we did a lot of things together and um, we just had a good time. Like for her 50th, I took her to Cancun for her birthday for her 60th. We did a cruise. So, you know, I mm-hmm. always gave back to her what she gave to me. There was nothing off limits when it came to her love for me. Um, and so we, you know, we bowled, we did amusement mm-hmm. parks, you know, we just mm-hmm. had a really good time together and we in terms of love and affection we show that to in, in our small family my mom my dad and I we really showed affection and a lot of our family members aren't that affectionate so I'm grateful that I had both of those parents yes. out of their sets of siblings because they had seven on each side and I feel like I got the best two out of you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, like I wouldn't trade them in like you know even though I have I love my aunts I, I wouldn't trade my mother in for anybody and so um she was and now she's getting that back bubbly um very friendly lots of friends you know everybody loved to love to cook love to cook um really help you know really she's a helper a doer 
all of those things. And so um, that's kind of like how she was and how we were together. Mm -hmm. And as I said, like with my dad, he went to pursue acting. And in 2014, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is a treatable, not a curable cancer. Mm -hmm. So I went to take care of him between 2014 and 2015. And so that was kind of, um, I would say my initiation into caring parent, child, that parent child diet, um, where, you know, you're caring for, but it's on a whole nother level now with my mom, like, you know, my dad was still able to make decisions and he was mobile, all Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And were you ever a caregiver? And were you ever a caregiver for him or? Yes. Yes. I was his caregiver from 2014. I went for four months. I thought I was going to be there for like a couple of weeks. It ended up being four months. He was in the hospital for weeks at a time. And then men are different, you know, like Mm -hmm. he told me he was sick. This is the way he told me he was sick. He said, um, Oh yeah. I called him. I remember I was at work. I would never forget. I was the wellness coordinator at the time for CMS. And I was in the nurses unit because that was, um, I was a project officer for our uh, nursing unit and um, EAP and all that. So I was in a nursing unit and I called my dad and I said, hey, you know, I call him Fa, short for father. I said, hey, Fa, what's going on? How you doing? He was like, fine. I said, oh, okay, what's up? He said, oh, I just got a doctor's appointment. I said, oh, for what? He said, I got to get a blood transfusion. I'm like, a blood transfusion? (laughs) A what? You know, it's not like I have to get blood drawn. He's like, I have to get a blood transfusion. I'm like, a what? A blood transfusion for what? And he said, well, they were saying they want to check for like some myeloma. And I'm like, what? So I Google. And of course, when you Google, you see all of the worst things. Yes, exactly. You go down this rabbit hole. So I was just devastated. I said, look, I have to go home. So I went home for the rest of the day. And, you know, he called me and I had to book a flight. I think I booked a flight like for that Friday or something like that. Went out there. And this was the first time in over, okay, this was 2014. So my dad had been there for 29 years. So in the first time in 29 years, he sent somebody to pick me up. That was the first time he never picked me up from the airport. Mm. So I knew something was, Was, you know, up. Yeah. Yeah. So I get there, he's in his chair. I'm like, what's going on? You know, and then that's when that all started that weekend. It was just a lot. It was a lot <laughs> to process. And again, I was in that space like, well, what is happening? I don't know what to do. I'm about to lose my dad. And then again, just seeing your parent in a vulnerable um, situation and just, you know, the parents that raised you strong right. and, right. you know, right. they right. seem exactly. invincible, like, right. you know, invincible and immortal. <laughs> like wh- what is going on here? So, right. Cause you that, automatically think like that's everybody else's parents, but not my parents. Yeah. Like this stuff doesn't happen to my parents because everything mm-hmm. always works out, you know? Mm-hmm. And my father was a true fixer, um, could drive mm-hmm. you crazy, but he was a true fixer. And so, um, when he became ill and it was very rapid, um, a very rapid decline. It was like, I don't understand why he's not fixing this. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I can only imagine what that felt like when you exit the airport or you, you know, you deplane and then somebody else is there to pick you up. Yeah, it was like, you're sending who? Actually, she was a sore, you know, older sore. She was very sweet, but it still was like, wait a minute. 
my dad can't pick me up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had to do a lot for him. And again, it it was, it was, it was, it was rough, but you mm-hmm. know, you get through it and you learn. I feel like, you know, I learned some things during that time. Like I mentioned, I was a wellness coordinator and I took advantage of the programs that we paid for for our employees. Like we had a work life for you program that provided EAP for mm-hmm. us and, um, you know, our loved ones. And then they had someone come out, they had like a geriatric care team that, I took advantage of and, you know, geriatric advisors. And so I really took advantage of those uh, programs and benefits that we have for our employees. And I was actually able to speak about them and, and really educate our employees more on it because I experienced it myself. And, um, you know, but that's part of getting older. Mm-hmm. We care for our aging parents. You know, we care for our aging parents. And so a lot of parents, a lot of people, and I think I know that I do, want to age in place and not be in a facility, um, which I've seen that other side too. It's, it's just so hard for people to get adequate care in facilities because they're so, so short-staffed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they have a lot of patients. And then the bottom line is is the, the money. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's just so unfortunate. So my goal with Hey Caregiver is to have a foundation arm where we're able to support family caregivers and their loved ones um, who even may find themselves in facilities and don't have the capacity to advocate for themselves, where we have a whole advocacy team to make sure that they're getting the, the, the proper care that they deserve. And then also to offset some costs, kind of bridge the gap for those that are middle class that don't qualify for any programs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're low income, Medicaid will cover a lot. They even have programs set up in states where they pay for um, family caregivers to care for their loved ones. Yes. And then, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. if you're rich, you know, you write a check and everything is okay. But those in the middle, it's kind of like you're making huge sacrifices and, you know, spending your savings. And it's, it's a little bit more challenging for us when it comes to uh, getting care, like in-home care, extra services, resources, supplies, all of that is out of mm-hmm, pocket. Mm-hmm, so I really mm-hmm. want to help. I'm um, equipment, you know, Medicare doesn't cover everything. Right, right, so right. So I right. want to, you know, have those things, a swap donation center, to help, you know, with equipment, because Medicare, they'll pay for a wheelchair or a walker. You know, mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm, have both. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. not, you know, if you're wheelchair bound, what rehab, what do you mean rehabilitation? With What do you need with a walker if you have a wheelchair? You know, right. and so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. so unfortunate. So I've seen that. So I want to be able to help um, yes, in that capacity, yes, yes, yes. long longer term, because you know I'm a full time caregiver now, so mm-hmm. it's, I'm doing more immediate um, things that I could really do. But I feel like, in terms of actualizing that, I would need a whole team. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned uh, in this process um, as a caregiver, right, and caring for my mother and for my father. Um, is also changing some of the language or learning language and using language very differently. Um, it, um, for example, I, I too used to always call them, used to call any place where someone was long-term um, in a, 
I used to always call them either facilities or nursing homes. But then I came mm-hmm. to learn that they are senior living communities, right? Or extended mm-hmm. or extended mm-hmm. living communities, right? Or um, or assisted living or independent care or independent, mm-hmm. you know, independent living. Um, because I think that it changes the imagery of what people think is taking place in all senior living communities. And it's yes. very different from space to space. So when, totally, totally. Um, so when my father passed, um, and wow, that's really interesting for me because I typically don't say that. I always say when my father left. Um, mm-hmm. So I must be turning some corner, maybe today. Maybe today's that corner, but I'm not sure. Right, right. But, um, but you mm-hmm. know, so my, my mother lived with my sister for a few months. And then um, because of her travel schedule, and this is prior to COVID, we knew that my mother could not stay there. It was not going to be a sustainable situation, right? And so she mm-hmm. moved to Connecticut with me. Um, and I spent, and because the time frame was very short, I spent probably about like two months looking for a community for her and, mm-hmm. uh, and learned quite a bit about different communities, um, what I thought could offer her like ro- robust care, um, mm-hmm. you know, just asking questions. And then recently I moved her to another community or a different community because I did not have all of the information to ask the right questions the first go round. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's now she's at a different senior community that has independent assisted as well as um, memory care um, and more robust services. You know, I knew what to advocate for and what not to advocate. Um, I knew when to push the envelope or some things that were like, okay, this is just not something that they have, but can I supplement it elsewhere? So I, you know, I, I say this to go back to, you know, the language that we use, because I know a lot of people have said to me like, oh, I can never put my mother in a nursing home. Well, my mom's not in a nursing home. Right. And that's, that's the difference. There's a big Mm -hmm. difference. There's a big difference, Mm -hmm. right? Um, my mom is not in, um, in a location where she's, with somebody else in her room, you know what I mean? She's confined to a bed. And, you know, we just had people that came to visit her recently and they were Mm -hmm. so shocked by what they saw. They're like, oh my gosh, this place is beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I can live here. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that they could do all this. And, um, And I think the more that you explore and if you have the time to do it, or if you have the time to have these conversations as a family, you know, the better off each person is, right? And I think the other thing that was really a saving grace, and I think my father was really smart in this, and my parents were really smart in this, was to have long-term care insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, because it has really made the difference in her care. Absolutely, because that's what I was thinking as you were talking, affordability, you know, so Mm -hmm. it depends on, you know, who, what you can afford. And like you say, having the time to research, ask the proper questions, interview, because, you know, Mm -hmm. you need to interview them (laughs) as well to make sure that they're going to be able to provide the care that your, your mother needs, your loved one needs. And so, and I guess, I've not had experience with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, to be able to 
uh, share, like you say, you know, you could help someone else who may find themselves in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I love to do as well is to create a collective of Black Caregivers Collective where we're able to share resources, information, I think I'm going to work on that, Vera, along with everything else. But, you know, I think even if it's just virtual, you know, just kind of like a platform where we're able to share information and share stories and those kinds of things um, where we could share experiences, you know, that's a positive experience of Mm -hmm. your mom being in that type of community. I've only had experience, again, with Nursing homes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like, and and, and the, the thing is, I think they all should be like that. Like, I think they all should be not like, absolutely. only changing the language, but having the the you know advocacy groups, lobbying, whatever, to change the whole dynamic yes. of that long term, you know, facility or care or whatever. You know, that way you can change the language, and it's not. You, when you think of, when you think of, let me say this, when I think of senior independent or senior living communities with independent living memory care, I think $10,000 a month or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then it's like, who, you know, we have to think about who can afford it. Yeah. Um, no, no, you're right. But, you're right. But, then, but then I also feel like, why can't everybody why can't? the same level why of can't? living? Exactly. Why can't everyone, why do I have to have a certain amount of money or, you know, to feel like I should be, you know, to to have this care. And and that's why we need to just change the whole healthcare system. And I know that all of the administrations, um, I know the Trump administration had done some things with family caregivers and now the Biden administration is working on some executive orders for caregivers. But it's also for low income caregivers, medical. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, and you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's not that, you know, it's no judgment or whatever to the low income community because you no. never know, you know, you're like, but at the same time, how can you help us? You know, we, we don't have checks to just write off, right. you know, and say, okay, here we go. So how can we get the same level of care in our middle class community? So I, I think that we need to band together as caregivers. And Absolutely. Just, yeah. Um, and how to be the best advocate for your parent or loved one, whether it be husband, child, you know, grandparent, whoever it is, how to be the best caregiver you possibly can be, as well as taking care of yourself. Because I think that, you Absolutely. know, we don't talk about that. And I know you want to talk about that, um, but we haven't yet. And, um, and I also want to make sure we come back to uh, the, uh, you made a good point about, um, you know, being an only child, mm-hmm. right? and preparing them. And sometimes um, I think that that doesn't happen because we think of that as being morbid or we don't want to mm-hmm. talk about something negative, but mm-hmm. I mean, here you are an only child. I have an only child, right? Mm-hmm. And he sees what I do and he sees what his dad does with his own mother and, um, and, you know, like just preparing them in the event that circumstances change so dramatically. Um, I so would, does that mean I'll giving them access to, you know, making sure they have access to medical records, making sure that our wills are prepared, right? Things like yep. that. Because I really think that's that the, that's the gift that. that keeps on giving. Yep, it means all of that. And I think that, like you say, because, I, well, I can say this from my experience with my grandmothers. 
Um, because mm-hmm. my grand, my both of my grandfathers passed when I was young, but my grandmothers both passed when I was an adult. So my thing is, they had nothing in writing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and if they did, no one knew where it was, right? And so it causes this huge rift between family members. The the beauty between with me and your son is that we don't have to fight and do anything, you know, figure out what what my well, mama told me this. Well, she said this, you know, we don't have to go through that part of it. But I think you definitely should. And, and, you know, I think all people and I told my friends when I was going through this with my mom as well, because if she had to, uh, if I actually enrolled her into long term, because what happens is they just automatically switch you over to long term, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. after short term, if you again say, no, this is not we, what we want. And when that happens, immediately they're in charge of all of the assets. So the uh, home, okay. the bank accounts, all of that kind of stuff, right? So for um, like you and your, and I told all of my friends, I said, listen, if your child, if you feel like your child is responsible, if they're over 18, put them on your house because they go back like uh, Medicaid, whatever they go back or even in a, uh, a senior living community, I'm going to, you, you know, change that language, but even in senior <laughs> living communities, <laughs> they go back, they go, I, look, I'm a quick learner. They go back, um, used to be five, but they go back seven years. Mm-hmm. So any, any bank accounts, any, any assets, any property, anything like that, they will have ownership. Oh, they want to, you know, grab some of it, but if your child's name is on it and it's been beyond that seven years, that's why I say do it sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Beyond that seven years, they can't touch anything. And even if it means putting your child's name on bank accounts, setting up another account, just all of those things so that you will have protection for everything that you've worked hard for. Yes. You know, yes, um, yes. if you find yourself in that situation. And I think a living will is very important. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, and I'm speaking to the choir because I've been saying it for forever. I want to write out my wishes and they have this um, it's called five wishes. And basically it's your five wishes for your end of life, how you want to um, in the rest of your life. I mean, they even now have like end of life doulas to kind of help you with that process, oh, wow. you know, because if you want to, if you know how you want to live, then really say how you want to die. And these right. are conversations that I'm having with my parents now that we're on the other side. But like mm-hmm. you said, it seems like more people really look at it as being morbid to have those conversations or premature. Like, why do you want to know that? Or why? You know, I don't want to talk about that. But the reality of it is death is a part of life. Mm-hmm. You, We cannot escape death, you know. And so it's like, let's have these conversations where it's not more real. We feel like it, it, we feel like we're dying tomorrow just because we're having these conversations and we're being proactive. So, um, yes, I encourage you, your listeners and, you know, even myself, although I don't have children, I still need to appoint someone over my Mm -hmm. estate because Mm -hmm. my mom now doesn't have the capacity. I still have my parents on everything. And so I think, too, it's been taking me a minute to realize that, okay, it's, it's now time to make a change. But I think, as you mentioned earlier, you say your dad passed. It takes a while to get to certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, with with just the end of life and just the, the transition of your parents from being the, 
you know, spry and and like you say, fixers and doers and making things happen, those strong people to being vulnerable. And now it's your turn to care, essentially, and be their quote unquote parent and make decisions for them is a process and getting to that point and being fully okay with it. Um, you know, and, and going through that, I mean, I think therapy is very important. Therapy mm. has helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. It's something that we don't want to talk about. Again, our community is really interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We to still say look the least. at it as taboo and, you know, it's stigmatized and it's like, why is it's healthy? It's, it is it's healthy. you know, yeah, it's healthy. We don't, you don't, therapy is not always when something wrong. I say, I go now, it's kind of like I'm maintaining, you know, she's there when something's going on, something traumatic happens, but also she's there to help me maintain my sanity and, and celebrate my wins and just, you know, somebody that is not subjective, you know, somebody yes. that can really just yes. Listen, just listen. That's all I need is listen. I don't, you know, so. Right. And you did, you did a, might've been a podcast not too long ago. I think it might've been last month that talked about, or that the topic was don't judge me. No, that wasn't me, but I love it. It was okay. Mm -hmm. So it was about, you know, um, being a caregiver and asking people not to be judgmental. Mm. Um, And it was interesting because I think that there is so much fear, right, around like going to therapy mm-hmm. and the judgment behind that, right? Or like, mm-hmm. there, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that certainly as a, as a Black community, we say, oh, well, um, I don't want people in my business. Yep. Or they're not going to judge me. I want to be, I want to keep this facade in place. So that way I'm not exposed, right? I'm not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But look, being mm-hmm. a caregiver, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable Absolutely. to a lot, a lot, right? But, and I yeah. don't care who judges me at this point, right? Because it's my business. Right. I've got to do what I got to do. But to be quite honest, Vera, I think it's unlearning what we've been taught. That's, you know, yes. we yes. don't air your dirty laundry. Yes. Go, you know, <laughs> what goes on in here stays in here. You know, we've been raised like that. Like, no, we don't, you know, we can fight in the house, but you better not fight in the street. You know, nobody right. can see this. <laughs> nobody can see this. And I think that unlearning that behavior, breaking those generational curses, you know, all mm-hmm. of those things. And I'm grateful for um, like different or is it black therapy for girls and a lot of yes. black therapists. And in fact, I've reached out to one of my friends who is an amazing therapist. Um, and I've reached out to her because my, my mentee, I call her my daughter, she's getting married. And I was looking for if she had any recommendations for a couples counselor. And mm-hmm. she was like, everybody is booked. Like, she said, everybody is so booked. Even my therapist, she's like, I cannot accept any new patients. So I'm glad that our community is really um, seeing the value in therapy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, and knowing that it's not because you're crazy. Because essentially that's what, you know, people would say, you go, you, you're going to a psychiatrist. You know, back then we grew up thinking you only went to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whatever if you were crazy. You know, when people say, such and such had a nervous breakdown. I was talking to my father about it the other day. I said a nervous break, like we said, nervous breakdown when, you know, now we can say, you know what? I'm overwhelmed. I'm about to lose. You know, you know when yeah. it's coming on. 
Um, and you know, the self-care, like all of those things. And to your point, talking about taking care of ourselves, knowing that you have to keep yourself sane, knowing what you have to do for yourself in order to take care of your loved one. So yeah, I feel like it's very important. And I feel like therapy is a part of it. Therapy is a part of that whole holistic. I feel like we have to be holistically healthy, mind, body, and spirit. You can't have one without the other. Yes. A lot of times our mental manifests itself. If we're going through mentally, it manifests itself physically. So, um, you know, when you say my, this hurts, I keep having these headaches. So I'm having, you know, GI issues. A lot of times it has to do with what's going on in your mind. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we have to look at it as that that whole you know like from a holistic approach so can you talk a little bit more about taking care of yourself and uh, there was some terminology that you used and I want you to be the first one to say yes (laughs) yes so I um I was in the beginning of the year when I got I really got the idea to um that we needed a community and that I wanted to help fellow caregivers in November And so I called a girlfriend and she told me about a small business boot camp that was offered through Operation Hope. It was free. And so I took advantage of that, started that in January, but I also started a um, certification program is I became a certified caregiving consultant, facilitator, and educator. Now I did both of these in tandem while caring for my mother, which was so crazy. So I was the one like, what was I thinking? What in the world was I thinking? I just hit a wall, like, wait a minute now, you know? So, but it, during my research, I, I learned, I learned like research shows that there are not enough culturally competent programs for caregivers of color. And specifically blacks right mm-hmm, so even mm-hmm. with um even with and hispanics actually make up the largest population of caregivers followed by blacks and then but it was like okay we need to have a space where we can talk and we already self you know we identify like there are communities right. different communities lgbt community mm-hmm, um you know mm-hmm, just certain mm-hmm. communities like okay where we don't have to explain who we are first before we are able to share and support one another. And so mm-hmm. that's when I, and then I'm doing research. So I learned that part and I said, okay, well, there's a space for us as black people. And then secondly, I learned that, you know, a lot of caregivers suffer. Oh, excuse me one second, Vera. Yes, Ma, yes. Okay, Ma, I'm, I'm on the podcast. What do you need? Okay, I'm sorry. You need to turn over? Okay. And then can I get back to it? Okay, I will. All right. Sorry, dear. You're fine. <laughs> but this is a part of the caregiver life. It's 24-7. It's That's 24-7. That. That's right. <laughs> it does not stop. Okay. Are you comfortable now, Ma? Huh? No. <laughs> and, then there, and then there's that. Why are you not comfortable? Okay, but I'll be back. Okay. Um <laughs> So anyway, um, okay, I got her situated, I, I think, for a little bit. <laughs> You're good. So, You're really um, good. Um, anyway, I also learned that a lot of caregivers suffer um, just from a myriad of, you know, depression. Um, and then with the stress, then there's the high blood pressure, the... Um, 
to be like all of these issues as a result of not caring for yourself while you're caring for your loved one. And so there was this terminology that I came across is called self-full. Mm-hmm. And basically it was just talking about, and this was in general terms. So being selfful, being able to take care of yourself. So not being selfish, right? So when you're selfish, you're all about self and nobody else, no regard for anybody else. But mm-hmm. when you're selfless, you're giving of yourself to everybody with no regard for self. So selfful is kind of like where you're able to do both. You care for yourself. That gives you the capacity to better care for others. And you're considering others in the process. So Uh, for me, for me, in terms of caregiving, I just said, you know what? Self is that sweet spot between me caring for me and me caring for you. So it's this sweet spot. So I'm caring for me, but I still consider you. And then I'm caring for you, but I still consider me. So I'm selfful. So my moniker is the selfful caregiver because I want to teach people how to, to be or show people really model for people how to be selfful in the process. Because a lot of times, and I was that caregiver that lost myself completely. Like I felt like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, you know, God, yep, I yep. Was just, yeah, I, I felt like, oh no, I can't go. Oh no, I got to do this. So I'm like, oh no. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then I realized, well, wait, you have to figure out how you can do both. And then the same with my mom, just paying mm-hmm. attention to her, see what she likes, and then finding those things that we like to do together. So then I am getting filled as well as she. So we like to mm-hmm. watch game shows together. That's our self, you know, place. We like um, uh my our deck out back, you know, being out back is beautiful. So we both like that. That's our, we do that together. You know, we, we eat seafood, just different things that what can we do together? So she knows that I'm there with her and I don't feel like I'm sacrificing or neglecting anything that I need or want to do. Okay. And so um, that, that is kind of like where I am on this journey and I'm so grateful to be on this side because there was a point, I feel like I was never selfish. I was always selfless. Mm -hmm, And I also mm -hmm. say hashtag selfless is reckless. So that goes for everybody. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. you get so deep into motherhood that you lose yourself. Then when your kids go to college, you're like, wait wait a minute. What's, hey, wait. What do I do now? You know, (laughs) yeah, you have this separation (laughs) anxiety like, whoa, hold up, what's what? You know, so all those kinds of things. I think that um, thinking about yourself and how you can better care for yourself and really feel yourself, because we know we can't pour from an empty cup. How right. We can mm. really feel ourselves to be able to pour in and provide that love. Like, okay, the way that my mother is calling me, she used to do that, I mean, like constantly. And I would lose it, like literally lose it and sometimes snap and all of that. But I've learned to just be a little more patient with her, you know, she has a traumatic brain injury, you know, so I think about, Mm -hmm. you know, but now there are sometimes I'll be like, look, lady, I, you know, I'm ready to shake her, (laughs) (laughs) but it's really interesting. And I, it was so funny because she, for a long time, as I mentioned, she didn't do anything. Like she was intubated for 12 days. She didn't open her eyes for a number of days. She didn't laugh for months and, um, she didn't do it. She didn't do a whole lot. She wasn't talking. 
you know, um, she couldn't swallow. It was just a lot. So she was a tube feeder and basically just existing in, in bed, to be quite honest. And so when she finally started to talk better, you know, wanting to get up and could make demands, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know how when you have babies and infants, they're not doing anything. Yes. And you're yes. so excited. You're so excited for them to take their first walk, their first step, their first word. And then once they do, and they're all around the house, you're like, oh my gosh, can you go back to being an infant that I had? That's how I feel about her sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like just talking, I'm grateful, but golly, before you were talking, I think I had a little more peace. But you know, it's kind of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, just, just processing, accepting, and just learning how to deal with what is the new normal. Norm, like yes. this is yeah. the new normal. Like we just having to understand Things aren't how they were and will never be how they were. So how do I live with what it is now? Absolutely. And recognizing that, you know, like you don't have to be this super person. Yep. And that there are resources and you don't have to be alone in doing this either because there are a lot of resources are out there. Um, We're just not always privy to that information. Um, Correct. And, uh, you know, I think that that's what, I see you being like just this, you know, this spearheading this and, and leading this charge to helping us have a better understanding of, you know, what to do next and how to get the resources and support that you need. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, one of my last questions is if any of our listeners are interested in exploring certification, where they, can they start to do the research and how can we find some of these support groups like you did? Okay. so. I created my support group, you know, (laughs) when you can't find what you need, you create it. (laughs) So I created the Binti circle and Mm -hmm. Binti means daughter in Swahili. And so I created um, this support group again, like I say, for black daughters caring for their mothers, but there are um, depending on where you, you know, local agencies like here, Baltimore city department of aging, they have resources and all, but of course, then the jurisdictions are different. Baltimore County is different from the city, but I think just, you know, reaching out to your local uh, aging department, um, the certification actually is through Care Years Academy, and it was founded by Denise Brown, who actually is like, I would say like a pioneer in the caregiving community, to be quite honest. She uh, developed the six stages of caregiving. She, mm-hmm. um, she started, you know, certified. She has different certifications. So there are some master classes and all. You don't even have to do a full training per se, like a, a certification. You could do like a couple of master classes, just kind of see where your needs are. They help with family emergency planning, just everything. So you could find everything that you need for that at the careyearsacademy.com. For me, you could reach me at Donita, D-A-W-N-I-T-A, at heycaregiver.com. My website is in the development stage and it'll be launching in a couple of weeks, but you can sign up for, um, with your email and you'll get notifications of mm-hmm. when I, um, you know, cause I'll have a blog there and my podcast will be launching soon as well. 
but I'm here for any support, any questions, like immediately. So just send me an email and I'll do what I can to help um, and assist and, you know, guide you in whatever, you know, direction you need to go in if I can. Awesome. And do you have a Twitter account or Instagram or your Instagram? All of, yep. At, okay. So at the selfful caregiver on Instagram and um, all the rest of them are at Hey Caregiver, all the rest of my handles. And okay. to be, to be transparent, I am just starting this whole social media thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really am. So just look, just follow me. So when I do drop stuff, you know, but yeah, I actually have a team of young people that are helping me because this is just not, you know, in my wheelhouse, but they're, they're forcing me. And I know that in order, you know, where we are kind of now in this day and age, we have to be um, on social media, have a presence virtually. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I am, I am working on that. So just um, bear with me, bear with me. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself, right? You know, uh-huh. show yourself some grace. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but you exactly. are definitely uh, working Absolutely. towards it. Um, so that way we are, again, encouraging, supporting, you know, being there for one another. And so, you Absolutely. know, you, you take it one day at a time. That's all we got anyway. Yeah, I'm just, I just, you know, wanted to put the disclaimer out when you look and see, oh, it's no, not, not a one, not a one post, <laughs> but I'm set up. I'm set up for when I'm ready. <laughs> and can you please spell out the Instagram account at, you said at selffulness. Can you okay, spell that okay. out? Okay. It's, yep. It's the, the selfful caregiver. It's actually, I, I, it might be Dawnita Brown, uh, but, but it's the selfful caregiver, T-H-E. S as in Sam, E L F as in Frank, U L L caregiver, C A R E G I B R. Great, great, great. I can't tell you how much um, I appreciate your honesty and willingness to share so much about your life. It really, really means a lot to me. Um, and it's not only been useful, but it's certainly been very uplifting your energy is awesome and I think likewise, it also allows, thank you and I think it also allows people to realize that again we are not alone on this journey and there are and many I of think, us that look like each other that are on this journey mm-hmm. and I think it's very important in fact one of my friends my male friends one of my best friends he just um moved his mom and he was care we I call it caregiverish oh and I'm working with my um site there'll be a store as well. So an e-commerce, so you can do, you know, get your t-shirts and all of that. So I'll shoot you all of the information Vera, so you can share it with your listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I need a t-shirt. Okay. Awesome. Yep. I got you. I got you. Yep. I got you. Um, just real quick, just as the importance of community and sharing, um, Chris moved his mom in last week, I believe. And so I got a call today. His mom had a stroke. She was living independently. Now she's with him. I got a call today from a friend of a friend who's going through the same exact thing with his mom. And so I'm like, I need to connect these two because it's different with sons taking care of their mothers versus daughters taking care of their mothers. So I made the, you know, I'm making the connection with them, you know, and I think it's just that, like you say, it's a gift that keeps on giving just 
continue to build this community where we're able to share and help each other. Yeah, and realize that it's, you know, there's a and lot we're not of love alone. in the community, right? We're not alone, but oh, there's yeah. a lot of love in this community too. Um, yes. And that we're deserving of that. We're deserving of that love and deserving of taking good care of yourself, right? Deserving of that kindness. Yes, and like Chris, you know, I'm gonna, ha- I have a men's corner is coming on my website as well because men are caregivers too. Yes, and then absolutely. finding the caregivers that I know, I would say- four out of six of them are caring for their mothers, you know, and he made a very interesting comment today. He said a boy wiping his mother's butt never gets old, you know? So it's like, (laughs) you know, you don't think about what it is. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, you're right. I said, you know what? I need that to be a blog. So I'm going to have guest bloggers on Mm. my website so you can share your stories and, you know, really, 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 truly create this community. Well, I hope you can come back and, you know, take us on a part two of your journey, um, because I think that this conversation is one that just never ends. Yes. So I yes. hope you'd be willing to come back and share some more. I because almost, I'd love to have I you back. I certainly will. I, I really, really would. Will. I think it would be awesome. And I look I, forward to it. Yes. And you'll be a part of the community at that point. You could join the Binti Circle. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and spell that too. <laughs> Hey, it's B-I-N-T-I-T as in Tom, I circle, the Binti circle. And okay. um, yes. And so, because I want to model it, to be quite honest, after daughterhood, they have chapters established mm-hmm. um, nationwide. So I feel like I want to oh. do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. The daughterhood, da- it's org, and they have chapters um, nationwide. Yep. Okay. But again, like I said, they don't look, no one looks like us. I mean, not even close. Oh, so that's the one that no one looks like us. Okay. Got it. (laughs) Yes. 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 No, I, no, we're speaking. Okay, good. We're speaking into existence that we will be a nationwide organization. Yes. Hey, wait a minute. Global, 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 Uh, global of black caregivers. So not just daughters, but Right, spouses, children. Oh, we have that. So we have, yep, that's going to be the Black Caregivers Collective. We have the Binti Circle that's specific to daughters. I'm going to push Chris to get this thing, you know, for men. You know, Mm -hmm. so everybody can have their individual space where they can be themselves, where they can walk in, they could be mothers and have this conversation without having, again, to say, you know, you already kind of self-identify. You have that immediate connection. So... You know, we, we're going to work on it. I'm recruiting. I'm recruiting all help. Yeah, Sarah. please. Yes, I'm there for it. I'm totally there for it. Completely there yes. for it. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the No Good People podcast. Want to share your story? Cool. Hit me up at nogoodpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Vera Smith Winfrey. And remember, it's always good to know good people. The No Good People podcast is co-produced by Diana Guzman Productions and So Very Vera Productions. The No Good People podcast can be streamed through Apple, Spotify, and other selected streaming services.